This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com, the big change program with Josh Lajani and WellStart Health. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an aware and active life. Hey, just a couple of housekeeping items before we get to today's interview. First of all, Jamie Friesen of Natural Vegan Club has been sending me some really cool product, uh, shampoo, conditioner, toothpaste, deodorant, uh, lip balm, and I don't know what to do with the shampoo and conditioner because I don't have any hair on the top of my head, but I really like the lip balm. The deodorant smells great. My wife uh, was enthusiastic about it to the point where I was wondering how bad I smell (laughs) normally. And I was also impressed by the packaging. It's uh, paper and cardboard. Very little is not uh, biodegradable. And apparently the products are so pure you could actually eat them, although nobody really recommends that. You can check out their stuff. Just go to plantyourself.com slash natural vegan. That is an affiliate link. However, as is the policy with this podcast, I don't get any money. We're just doing it to track uh, where people are coming from. I don't get an affiliate commission. I don't get a kickback. That's how I feel good about promoting other people's things. I know from personal experience how easily corrupted I am, and I don't want to accidentally turn this podcast into a product and service showcase that uh, delivers affiliate commissions to my bank account. So if you want to try out some cool vegan uh, body care products, check them out, plantyourself.com slash natural vegan. My second announcement is completely self-serving. I am officially joining WellStart Health as a co-founder and check out this title, Chief Behavioral Science Officer, CBSO, I guess. And we're looking for business. We are looking for small or large self-insured companies who would like to see their employees with chronic disease get better and cost the company a lot less money. We're talking about type 2 diabetes, obesity, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease. The Big Change Program is now incorporated into WellStart Health's digital platform, which includes, if uh, required, medical supervision and dietitian visits. And it's all online, all digital, and so it's great for populations that travel a lot, like uh, people in the transportation industry or people who work on oil rigs. We are in possession of the world's most amazing trade secret, the plant-based diet to reverse disease. And we've done a lot of work on the behavioral components and the technologies. And now we're just like, put us in, coach, put us in, coach. We just want to get out there into the world and start making a difference. So if you can help us, if you can introduce us to someone, or if you yourself are the person we should be talking to, you can just reach out to me. And now you can find me at Howard at WellStartHealth.com. I'd love to hear from you. Today's show is a conversation with Cyrus Cambada and Robbie Barbaro. They are the co-founders of Mastering Diabetes, which is a program, a coaching program, and a phenomenally popular online summit that is just kicking off at the end of this month, which is why we fast-tracked this uh, episode and pushed a whole bunch of other ones down a week. Sorry, everybody else, all you other fantastic guests. We're going to have to uh, hold our breath a little longer before we can hear from you. Robbie and Cyrus are both living with type 1 diabetes, and I should say thriving with type 1 diabetes. Their summit and their coaching is not just for people with type 1 
but also type 2, type 1.5, prediabetes, gestational diabetes. I came across their work recently. I've known about them for a while, but uh, recently I watched a fantastic video presentation debunking the ketogenic diet as a means of diabetes and blood sugar control. And the keto diet is interesting because it gets so many good results so quickly. Blood glucose flatlines, weight control, LDL cholesterol goes down, people uh, feel better. So you can really understand how people who try the keto diet become such uh, diehard advocates and why it's so hard to convince them that what they're doing is actually going to cause harm in the long term. However, uh, Cyrus, who's a nutritional biochemistry PhD, does a masterful job in this video of explaining why what looks like good news on the front end turns out to be very, very bad news on the back end. So with Cyrus, the scientist, and Robbie, the marketer, and both of them phenomenal teachers, they are changing a lot of lives for the better. So I'm delighted to welcome them both. So without further ado... Robbie Barbera and Cyrus Cambada, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. We're super Thanks. excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, so you, yeah, you guys are, uh, are making a lot of waves with your um, Mastering Diabetes Summit. Before we get to that and before we get to what I really want to talk about, which is your, your fantastic work um, on the biology of, of ketogenic diets, what, I'd love for you guys to tell me your story because I know in your... In your um, your email signatures, you say, like, two guys living with type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. Who, who wants to go first? Who's the extrovert here? Robbie, why don't you go for it? <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll go for it. Okay, so um, I'm 29 years old right now. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes over 18 years ago. And my older brother actually has type 1 diabetes as well. So when I was diagnosed, my family was very familiar with it. So... Um, I'd actually been complaining for several weeks prior to the diagnosis that, hey, mom, I think I have diabetes just like Steve. I'm going to the bathroom all the time. I'm thirsty all the time. Like something's not right. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. You, you don't have diabetes. You're going to be fine. So eventually my mom was out of town and actually both my mom and my dad were out of town. It was just me and my brother at the house. And she called to check in and see how we were doing. And I said, mom, I couldn't sleep last night. I was cramping all the time. She's like, okay, go upstairs use your brother's blood glucose meter and see what you're, what's going on. So I test myself. I'm well over 400. You're supposed to be somewhere between 70 and 120-ish. Um, and I was above 400. So my brother right there and goes, yep, you have type 1 diabetes. Pack your bags. You're going to be in the hospital for uh, a couple nights. And that was it. That was the beginning of living with type 1 diabetes. And for those who don't know, I probably should say type 1 is where you are insulin dependent. So for whatever reason, my pancreas and Cyrus's pancreas is not working properly. The beta cells have been damaged. We do not produce sufficient insulin. Therefore, we have to inject insulin to maintain our health and manage our blood glucose. So I'm living with type 1 since then. And, and, and how old were you then? Sorry. So I was, I was 12, just about to turn 13 at that time. Okay. And so... I, at that point, I'm following the standard American diet. My, the thing my parents always said, look, type 1 diabetes is just an inconvenience. You can still do whatever you want. So I felt very empowered and it didn't really like derail my life or anything. But um, I, I, it was the beginning journey of starting to figure out how could I take better care of myself. So in the beginning, I'm following the standard American diet, just counting my carbohydrates and things are going pretty well. 
But at that time, I was still sick. I was having other problems. I was always having allergies year-round. So I was taking Nasonex and Claritin-D and still getting sick. I had terrible acne, and I had plantar fasciitis, which was a really uncomfortable condition in the feet where I would wear these big blue boots at night while I was sleeping, and it was not fun to deal with. So here I am. I'm managing type 1 to the best of my ability. Um, I'm having these other problems, following the standard American diet. Eventually, I start learning, okay, how can I take better care of myself? So I try two versions of a low-carbohydrate diet in my journey. I tried a plant, uh, a animal-based version. So if the Weston A. Price Foundation, I was a member of that organization. And then after I learned some uh, reasons not to consume animals, I then moved to a plant-based low-carbohydrate diet. And I learned from Gabriel Cousins and was inspired by the movie Raw for 30 Days. And there's a guy in there named Kurt Tyson who um, was a type 1 got amazing results. And this is all very inspiring to me. So I started to follow a low-carbohydrate diet. And we're going to get into – I'm glad we're covering this now because Cyrus is going to go into the biology later on today when we talk about ketosis. But I had this experience. So I followed a plant-based ketogenic diet for 30 days. Like I did it as perfect as you can. And I ate no more than 30 grams of carbs per day, eating lots of oil, lots of nuts and all that. And at that point, living with type 1 diabetes, I was taking the least amount of total insulin I have ever taken, roughly about 10 to 12 total units of insulin per day. And if you do the numbers, it's roughly like a three to one ratio. So total carbohydrate, total insulin, three to one ratio during that period. But I was feeling terrible. I was on campus at the University of Florida. I was losing weight. My energy was low. I had several instances where I almost blacked out. At this point, I'm getting scared. Like, I don't really know what to do. I go back to a, a naturopath that I had worked with in the past. Wait, so, so wait, so you're you're doing this um, the key, the keto diet under like medical supervision? No, I was just I was just a freshman in college at this point. Okay. And just, so you weren't just, you weren't part of some group that was doing it? Uh, no, I was in touch okay. with Kurt Tyson. He was helpful. I was using uh, online forums and stuff like that. I was reading. There's a book by Gabriel Cousins, like laying out exactly what to do: phase one, phase two, phase three. So I was following those guidelines, but it was just me, and my doctor wasn't helping right. me. Were, were you communicating with them about your symptoms? Um, you know, I, I guess I think at some point what happened is I stopped communicating with I was. But at some point I stopped communicating with them when I went I went to the naturopath, got her opinion. And she's like, oh, maybe you should do chelation therapy. So um, at this point, I'm in like the raw food world. So Gabriel Cousins and all that world There's like this whole scene of raw food people uh, back then. And so I end up listening to a podcast where I heard Doug Graham talk about eating lots of fruits and vegetables. And the logic really resonated with me. So at that point, that's when I kind of stopped interacting and trying to get, you know, the keto or the, the, or the Gabriel Cousins feedback. I'm like, OK, wait a minute. What Doug is saying resonates. I'm going to go try that. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I, start, I make that shift. So I sign up for his coaching program. I read his book, which Cyrus is one of the testimonials in the book, um, sharing his story, what happened to him. And now, all of a sudden, I start eating all these fruits and vegetables. So I'm eating, um, first week, I literally ate just bananas. Second week, I ate bananas and lettuce. It's, and I just start adding mono meals of fruit and greens. And that's how I started this journey. And what happens is my insulin sensitivity starts going through the roof. So my, I'm now eating 600, 700, 800 grams of carbohydrate per day. And then my total insulin usage is falling somewhere between like 35 and 40 units. That's, that's roughly where it was. So total units go up, but insulin sensitivity is 
um, absolutely through the roof. So now we're talking, you know, I'm eating meals where my ratio is 25 to 1, 30 to 1, 45 to 1, you know, depending on my activity. And so this was, an, this was a powerful experience. And I'm starting to feel great. My energy's coming back. Um, my skin's clearing. I'm starting to just feel amazing. And that's how, when I got excited about it. And then now, like under, now looking back, and we're going to go into this detail, like Cyrus is going to cover this, the, the importance of insulin sensitivity and why that interconnects with all the other diseases. So people living with type 1 diabetes, they don't die of blood glucose problems. The number one killer is heart disease. So you got to understand that living a lifestyle that's well, that's good for all your tissues, including your heart, your kidney, is very, very important. Not just blood glucose numbers and not just total insulin use. So again, in the type 1 community, there's a lot of confusion around trying to take the least amount of insulin possible. That's not really the goal for somebody living with type 1. The goal is to take the, an appropriate amount of insulin. How much insulin did your pancreas secrete before it got damaged? Insulin is not the enemy. It's not a problem. It's a necessary required hormone. You just want an adequate amount. So me now taking roughly between you know 35 or so units per day and eating a healthy diet, that's good. That's healthy. That's where I want to be. I don't want to be back down to taking 10 or 11 units per day but feeling crappy and having terrible insulin sensitivity. So mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. That's my story. I don't want to take up too much time here. Let Cyrus share his and get into the science here. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, Cyrus, what, what about you? Okay, I don't actually have diabetes. I was I just go along for the ride. That's a joke. Okay, so uh, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 22. So I was a senior in college. I was going to Stanford University at the time. And, and uh, all I noticed is that I was, I was extremely thirsty. I was drinking you know, upwards of a gallon, a gallon and a half of water per day. And it felt like no matter how much water I drank, I kept on getting thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. And then I was urinating 17, 18, 20 times a day. So, uh, and I also had no energy. So I picked up the phone, I called my sister, who's a doctor of osteopathy, and I said, hey, Shanaz, I, these are my symptoms, what do I do? And she started crying immediately. She said, Cyrus, just drop everything you're doing, go to the doctor right away. So I said, oh, I don't understand what's happening. Show up at the doctor, they check my blood glucose, walk out of the room to go put it into a blood glucose meter, come back three minutes later, and I'm pretty much passed out. I'm lying down, I wake up, and I'm like, okay, I'm in a doctor's office. How did I get here? Who is that woman standing in front of me? How does she know me? And then I was just like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm losing it. So they take me to the hospital and they check my blood glucose and kind of like Robbie's who had a, you know, 400 something, my glucose was like in the 680s. So it's like six times, seven times higher than it needed to be. And they started giving me drip irrigation of insulin into one arm and then fluids into the other, saline into the other. And all of a sudden things started moving in the right direction and I got a little bit more energy and more hydrated and my blood glucose came down. So 24 hours later, they, they, they discharge me from the hospital and they say, here's a prescription for insulin, here's a blood glucose meter, here's a carbohydrate counting guide, uh, here's a bunch of syringes, good luck. And I was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. This is weird. And prior to that, I had actually di was diagnosed with two other autoimmune conditions. So the first one is Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. And so that basically is a decreased thyroid hormone output. And then secondly was alopecia uh, universalis, which is why I have no hair, I have no eyebrows, I have no armpit hair, I got nothing. So those two set in and then type 1 diabetes was the icing on the cake all within a six-month period. So I got really scared really quickly because obviously something was terribly wrong and I didn't know what it was. So for the first year, I listened to the doctors and they said low-carbohydrate diet, 
low carbohydrate diet, low carbohydrate diet. And they're operating under this philosophy that carbohydrate equals more insulin equals a more challenging time managing your blood glucose. Don't eat carbohydrates. So I said, sounds reasonable. You're talking to a meat eater. I eat dairy. I eat turkey burgers. Uh, I eat, uh, you know, fish. I like eggs. So you're telling a meat eater to eat more meat. And I said, great, I'm going to do that in a heartbeat. So it was supposed to make my blood glucose nice and controllable, but it did the opposite. Glucose is all over the place. I mean, up, down, up, down, roller coaster every day. So I was just like, literally like so frustrated and so confused that I was doing what I was supposed to do and it wasn't working. Did, so, did, did it occur to anyone that they were just telling you to do what you were already doing more or less? Like, like somehow that was going to fix it? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the, the one change that I did make under their, under their guidance was to drop my carbohydrate intake more than before. So I ended up eating less breads and cereals and pastas and fruits. So hold the bun. Exactly. Hold the bun. Bingo. And so by doing that, you know, my carbohydrate intake went down and the proportion of fat and protein in my diet went up. So, but, but your point still stands, which is I was doing effectively the same thing as before with a little bit of a modification and that clearly wasn't working. So about a year into this process, I come home from work one day, I check my blood glucose, I'm excited to eat dinner and I'm hoping that my blood glucose would be, you know, like 110 or maybe like a 95 so that I could eat. Blood glucose, 288. I picked up my blood glucose meter and I was so pissed off that I took my glucose meter and I just threw it against the wall and smashed it into a thousand pieces and I fell into the couch and I started crying. And I said, what am I doing wrong? This is ridiculous. So I started a personal research project to learn more about nutrition because I didn't know anything. And somehow every single door I opened up, whether it was a personal conversation or a book or a scientific lecture, it was plant-based diet, plant-based diet, plant-based diet. And the universe was somehow telling me, hey, Cyrus, you should probably try a plant-based diet. So I was like, all right, I used to make fun of vegetarians and vegans. Let me try it out. So I did. And under the supervision of Doug Graham, who Robbie had talked about earlier, uh, at a retreat, he basically showed me how to eat nothing but fruits and vegetables. That's it. So cold turkey overnight. I cut out meat. I cut out dairy. I cut out fish. I cut out eggs. I cut out bacon. And I went to just literally nothing but fruits and vegetables. And I was terrified because the carbohydrate, you know, methodology says if you eat more carbohydrate, especially if they're coming from fruit, your insulin use is going to go through the roof. So I was expecting my insulin use to go up. I started pounding carbohydrates like it was my job. And every day my glucose was getting lower and lower and lower. And therefore my insulin use was getting lower and lower and lower. So within a seven day period, I cut my insulin use by like 35%, 40%. And I was like, this feels incredible. So I go home, continue to make it work. And then I got so excited by this, this experiment that was happening inside of my body that I could not explain using science. So I, hmm. I started reading more books and started picking up textbooks and enrolling in classes. And before I knew it, I was ready to do a PhD program. So I went to UC Berkeley for five years to study nutritional biochemistry uh, as a PhD. And there I was able to really learn the evidence-based science about what causes diabetes, what reverses diabetes, and how do you actually manage uh, diabetes using your diet. Hmm. What, was, what was your uh, career trajectory before that? I was an engineer, a mechanical engineer 
And uh, I was working as an aeronautical engineer. And I mean, I didn't love it. I'll be honest with you. So this was kind of a, a welcome change. And, you know, it's a very weird set of situations. But hey, it turned out to be something that I'm totally passionate about now. Well, in watching your, your video presentation, I can sort of see the mind of an engineer. Oh, nice. Uh, I like it. But, like, because, you know, I mean, one, one thing that I always like, you know, the people that I have on this show are all outliers, right, in, in some way or another. And both of you guys, like, struggled with this condition, and it, both, it got you both to the place where you said, I've got to discover something for myself. And, you know, you, you work with lots of people who, I guess, you know, arrive at that same conclusion. But I think the fact is that most people who have any sort of condition or disease never get to that point. What, what do you think yeah. it was? Yeah. And I mean, I, I like to think, you know, over the course of time, what I've learned is that nutrition is something that 100 percent of all people will have to pay attention to at some point in their life. Right. For me and for Ravi, it happened at a really young age. But for I'd say the majority of people, you hear these stories of like, oh, when I hit 40, man, my body changed. I just couldn't lose weight anymore. Oh, when I turned 60, that's when I got my heart attack, you know. And so there's this idea that like later in life, something terrible is going to happen. And then, then you should think about the food you put into your body. So I honestly think that, you know, this is whole, this whole thing was scripted and like I was supposed to develop type one diabetes and I don't know why, but it enabled me, it provided me with an opportunity to change everything I was doing in my lifestyle at a young age. And to me, that's, it's literally the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Mm. Well, how, how's the, uh, the Hashimoto's and, um, the alope alopecia. alopecia. Yeah. I, I, you still don't have, uh, eyebrows. So. I, that's right. Yeah, I have not grown back my hair, and uh, I don't think I will. And quite honestly, I'm not actually looking forward to doing that because I love having no hair. Um, but one of the things that's actually starting to happen now is I'm starting to sprout these hairs like on my neck and sort of a little bit on my face. And whenever a hair pops up on one side of my body, it will pop up on the exact opposite side of my body. So there's a symmetry, which is just fascinating to me. Um, and then as far as Hashimoto's is concerned, my thyroid use – my thyroid hormone use was increasing, increasing, increasing. And then I switched my diet and then it stabilized and then it has kind of come down. So I don't know of any dietary method that can fully reverse Hashimoto's hypothyroidism if you've been living with it for a, a couple of years. So I would love to say, yeah, you know, I reversed Hashimoto's, but I would be lying if I said that. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, you know, when, when, when somebody has an autoimmune disease that it's not uncommon for there to be others that follow, right? Like, what's yeah. what's what's your, what's your uh, understanding of? You know, I guess there's lots of different potential triggers, and we don't know all that much about how you're right. predicting or, or assessing those triggers. But in terms of like, once you have an autoimmune disease, how how does how does that affect your body in ways that could make other diseases more likely? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you're, you're right in saying that hashi, I'm sorry, that autoimmune diseases tend to run in multiples. So people who have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, as an example, often express a secondary, uh, you know, autoimmune disease, whether that's celiac disease or multiple sclerosis, 
um, or something like type one diabetes, you know, there, it kind of ranges on things that are like benign, like alopecia, all the way to things that are like debilitating. Um, and the, the, like one of the molecular underpinnings of autoimmunity is this thing called molecular mimicry and molecular mimicry is just a fancy super nerd way of saying when your immune system mounts an immune response to protein that your body manufactures. So in the case of type one diabetes, what the prevailing wisdom is right now is that, you know, if you're consuming a large amount of dairy and you get casein in your diet, um, there's a specific sequence of amino acids on the casein molecule that make it such that when that goes into your body, uh, you can end up getting gut in irritation and then there's sort of like holes in the tight junctions between the cells inside of your small intestine. So this casein molecule is supposed to get completely chopped up into either one or two or three amino acids in order to like eventually make it in your bloodstream. But due to inflammation in your gut, you end up with large chunks of this casein molecule escaping into your blood and it's not supposed to do that. And then as soon as it gets inside of your blood, now your immune system says, hey, wait a minute, where did that protein come from? I don't recognize that protein. So your immune system mounts a response to try and neutralize that protein so that it doesn't cause a threat. But because there's a couple of, uh, there's a sequence that's very similar to protein that your, that your body manufactures on the surface of beta cells, your immune system thinks it's attacking casein and it does. And then it starts to attack other molecules that are very similar to casein. And then your beta cells end up taking the hit. So this process is called molecular mimicry, where one molecule mimics an, another endogenous human-made molecule. And then as a result of that, you can end up mounting an immune response to your own body, when in reality that was never supposed to happen in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of, it kind of reminds me of someone who's undergone some terrible trauma. And, you know, let's say a woman who was badly abused by a man, and now every man she sees triggers... Bingo. A memory it's like your, your body has been traumatized by this protein escaping into the blood where it should never be. And now, every, exactly. now everything looks like a threat. Yes, that's actually that's a really good way to, to think about it. And, um, you know, when it comes to type one diabetes, does that mean that, like, I drank too much milk as a kid? Well, maybe, you know, there's also viruses that can predispose you to an autoimmune reaction. Um, so, you know, there's no. It's, it's almost impossible to say, well, Robbie got type 1 diabetes because of blank or Cyrus got it because of blank. But, you know, those are the prevailing ideas here. And there's a lot of research to back up all those, uh, this whole idea of molecular mimicry. Gotcha. So, and Robbie, how about you? So you're, uh, I guess, I don't know what else you do for, for a living. I know you're a professional Howard, health educator. I do, one, I do one thing. I do diabetes. All right. So, uh. I wasn't sure That's whether it. it was whether it was your day job or just your <laughs> Friday afternoon. So, um, when did you decide that this was going to be your thing? So, I've been very passionate about spreading the low-fat, plant-based, whole food message, really since the beginning of getting into this. And so, it was in college that I really dug into it and changed my life. And I changed my major so I could have some time to focus on this on the side, and then. Straight out of college, I, in college, I started a nonprofit organization. I made videos on YouTube. I was selling tropical produce in Florida. 
So I was really passionate about it. And then my first job, my only other job after college, I worked at Forks Over Knives. So um, really good friends with Brian Wendell, who is the creator, the, the founder, the, the mastermind behind Forks Over Knives. And we actually met at a, a Doug Graham health event. Uh, that's how we first met. So Brian will always say that, you know, you know, Doug had a little bit of impact on how he sees nutrition and the holistic perspective that is taught uh, at Forks Over Knives. So I spent about six years there with Forks Over Knives from the beginning, uh, sort of being uh, Brian's right-hand person. And he had the vision, he had, you know, made all the deals, and I was responsible for getting things done. So I spent a lot of time there just learning and enjoying um, the, the business side of, of sharing this message, but also having the, the opportunity to connect with the experts and read a lot of their material and help publish articles on the blog and testimonials and recipes and really had a chance to get to know really the, you know, the key players in this community. So that was a really great education for me. And even in college, I was passionate about, I've always been sort of like a leader and a coach just by nature. So even in college, I would coach people a little bit uh, while working with Forks When I was on the side. I coached people a little bit, and eventually um, Cyrus and I have merged forces, and the, the two of us together are a heck of a lot stronger than apart. So we, we love what we do. We, we do Mastering Diabetes full-time. Nice. And how did you guys meet? So I first – I knew of Cyrus because he was in that book, and there was articles of him on – it was a website called Organic Athlete. I think they did a profile on Cyrus and there was pictures of him just looking ripped and fit and um, talking about how this diet had improved his life. And so I knew of Cyrus, but uh, we hadn't been in touch until we did a lecture together in San Francisco area. We did a lecture where we had people come and they got some food and we both gave uh, a talk and that was really fun. And we sort of talked and like, hey, like, what are you up to? What are you doing? And Cyrus was talking about his coaching practice and what I was doing and sort of our vision and our goals. And that was the beginning of us uh, working together. We started out with a small group coaching program that we did together. And, and now um, we continue to do that. But we also have a large group coaching program that is very affordable and, and accessible for people all over the world. So we're really passionate about uh, that work as far as getting into the nitty gritty. Like it's something we're really, really passionate about. So when I was at Forks Over Knives, we uh, did such a great job of publishing amazing content and inspiring stories. And we were moving into creating food products that people can uh, use and make this accessible and, and a meal planner to make it easier to, to you know, prepare and execute the lifestyle. But in regards to the nitty gritty nuances of a person being like, this is the medication I'm taking. This is my blood glucose readings. This is what's going on. Like, like, how do I, how do I, what do I do at the airport? Like, this is my problem in this moment. You know, how can you help me? And, and that's the way we work in our coaching practice. Like every little nuance of what does it take for you in your situation, your nuanced details to execute this lifestyle. That's what we do through our coaching program. And it's literally like we, we have a, it's affordable. It's $29 a month. And we answer questions within 24 hours. We are literally there with people every day, every step of the way. And, and we're just super passionate about it. Cool. So I'm curious what you guys saw in each other or in the collaboration that was stronger. Because each of you has a great story. Each of you is clearly, you know, well-versed, articulate, passionate, um, inspiring. 
Like, what what was it that said? Like, oh, we're we could be stronger together. What did what did each of you see that got complimented? That's actually a great question. Uh, I would say, you know, I'll speak from my perspective here. Um, I like to think of myself as like the the science professor, you know, like I'll get stuck in the weeds, like really getting into the molecular level details of of evidence based science because I love to do it. And um, and then I developed a coaching practice to try and help people, you know, make modifications to their lifestyles for for maximum success. Um, and and when I met Robbie. I realized I was like, oh my God, this guy is a marketing machine. Like, this guy has a really good social media following. He's got a great personality. He's super inspiring. And so we're like, hey, hold on a second. What if we were to combine forces and now we have both, you know, like more reach to the outside world, but then we also have, uh, you know, the, the science background. And then as we decided to, you know, start joining forces within a very short period of time, we both realized that the, the sum was greater than, you know, the addition of the parts. And so it's been really, really, really fun to work together and to really um, develop a coaching practice together that has now influenced, affected more than 2,000 people's lives. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I could go on a long list of amazing things about Cyrus. Um, but, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, I think his, Cyrus is so smart. I mean, this guy is just wicked smart. Uh, his ability to read studies and understand them quickly and efficiently and then summarize them in a way that people can understand is uh, is really beautiful. And so it's just, I don't know if you mentioned it or not in the show, but his undergrad was from Stanford in mechanical engineering and then goes to UC Berkeley, get a PhD, just really, really smart, well-educated, but also can bring that to people. So that's been super fun to uh, to have that aspect of our company. Like, He's like our, our chief medical officer, basically. Um, but in addition to that, just, I mean, his experience. So Cyrus had been doing this diet for, I think, you know, 12 or 13 years uh, when we joined forces. I think I was doing it for probably eight or nine at that point. Um, and knowing the, the new, our passion for fruit. So Cyrus had also had the experience of doing years and years of following a fruit and vegetable diet. So that's not just what we teach. We teach people the whole gamut of eating, you know, beans and whole grains and all that stuff. That's essential, but the, the 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 passion for teaching people that you can have large volumes of fruit, whole fruit, um, as a person living with diabetes, and that reverses insulin resistance is super important. So the fact that uh, we're on the same page there is is priceless. And just you know, we have fun together. Our personality, we spend all day together you know, on the computer working on things, and our team is growing now, which is super fun. Um, but just. The, the willingness to work hard and, and focus on this, like the amount of time we've put in to, to build what we have so far and, and is, is remarkable. So when you have somebody who you see is, is dedicated and, and doing that, um, that's also priceless. So when, when we put two really hardworking people, smart, put it together, it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. That's great. So I want, I want to talk about the, uh, the Mastering Diabetes Summit that you guys have coming up, but I want, I want to frame it in a way that I'm very curious about, and, and you may feel free to like reject this framing entirely. Um, but it's like, I see you guys and you're like the next generation of plant-based avatars and educators and inspirers. And I think that there's a way in which the, the older generation, which I sort of consider myself on the, the trailing edge of, but you know, the people the people who really made this a thing, Colin Campbell, Esselstyn, uh, Neil Barnard, you know, the, the people that we keep seeing at the, <laughs> at the, the big veg fest and the events, 
there, there's a way in which um, they, I think, have trouble getting additional traction. And I'm wondering if you see that and if you see that there, like there's a role for you that's different as, as sort of digital natives, as millennials-ish, um, that, you're, that you're bringing a different sensibility and whether, whether the summit reflects any of that. Okay, so let me take a stab at this one. Um, first of all, um, how dare you call me a millennial? Uh, um, I think the reason that we uh, seem to be getting traction with the diabetes community, or at least... uh, It's uh, it's because you look so young. I I don't know. (laughs) I didn't realize you were 70. You really don't. (laughs) Yeah, it's because I don't smoke, so I appreciate it. So um, the reason why I think people with diabetes tend to resonate with our messages is like multiple. Number one, we both have diabetes you know we absolutely love michael gregor and we absolutely love dean ornish and neil barnard and they're great i mean those guys are unbelievably smart but the fact that they don't actually have diabetes is something that kind of creates a little bit of a wall between somebody living with diabetes and them because they're sort of like all right i understand that you're smart but you don't know what i'm going through you Mm. don't know you don't feel it right you don't see it every day so that's number one and then number two uh, the fact that we can talk about it from a very scientific perspective and teach people the biology of diabetes that they never learned. And in so doing, we explain a lot of the symptomology of living with either type 1 or type one and a half or prediabetes and type 2. And we can explain to them, oh, the reason why your fasting blood glucose is high in the morning is because blank. The reason why you've been able and unable to lose weight over the course of time is because blank. And when we talk about it in that respect from a very scientific perspective, people are like, oh, wow, these guys understand me. They totally understand me, right? And so I think a combination of the two of those is really helping out. And um, people really trust that we're going to lead them in the right direction. And as soon as somebody gives us their trust, that's when we go into full steam ahead and say, all right, we're going to deliver and we're going to make sure that we provide this person with an incredible experience so that they also, over the course of time, are likely to recommend someone else to the program because they had such an awesome experience themselves. So we appreciate you, uh, you know, referring to us as the next generation. We like to think that, but you know, we're trying to stay humble at the same time. <laughs> Robbie, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, you're, I you're, think... you're not insulted if I call you a millennial, right? No, you, that's totally fine. That's cool with me. Why was that hard? Uh... <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, I yeah, first off, I appreciate all the kind words there. And um, I think, you know, the I mean, the success of the summit, I, I get what you're saying about, you know, maybe, you know, some of the other luminaries are having a hard time reaching new people that may or may not be true. But but I will say, like, I just in regards to the success of the summit, um, the reason that event is so successful and so amazing actually comes down to the experts themselves, like the people that we have chosen to interview and that have agreed to be interviewed, um, the information is so solid and makes so much sense and so congruent when you're hearing it from this expert and that expert, and it's all tying together, saying the same conclusion each and every time, and they're citing studies, and they're well-read, and they have well, you know, great education. They all have experience with, uh, with, their, um, with their, their actual co- their practice, their physicians. Um, it's just really powerful. So, 
uh, it's been really fun to interview them, get to know them more and bring that information to more people. So I think that is the key of why it's successful, to be honest. Do you guys feel like, like, so I imagine like you, you know, you have Facebook feeds and you see all the popular stuff about keto. And I know that you responded to it in that video. And like when I see this stuff, you know, very often I just want to like draw a circle on the wall where I can just bang my head for a while. And my, my first impulse is often to be very snarky and combative. And I actually did that for about five years until I just got tired of it. And I'm wondering yeah. if, if you guys have, are, we're more, sort of more strategic about having a positive message or, or being less combative or like, how do you think about your role as, as, as being in an argument and still... I just want to... Yeah. I want to come on that real quick and I'll add Cyrus for his thoughts as well. But the thing is, see, the particular nuanced situation in the world of diabetes, if a person follows the ketogenic diet properly, they get the exact results that Cyrus laid out in, in the ketogenic article and the video, which is that you can see flatline blood glucose. You can stop taking diabetes medications if you're following this diet properly. So I completely understand where where the people on the internet are coming from? These people coming up, it is incredibly confusing. You go to these websites and you see the ketogenic people with before and after pictures that are incredible. And this person is saying, I got off my medications. My A1C is 4.9. Like I we get why people are c- confused, and that's why you know we put so much time into putting that together and teaching people the nuance of why is that happening and why is that not actually okay. So mm-hmm. my answer to your question is. I understand, I empathize with them, and there's so many nuances in the diabetes world that I just see that as an opportunity for us to provide more education in a nice, kind way that just opening up a door to be educated because we can teach them and have them understand, and and that can be a really powerful moment for them. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I, I see all the time is that, just like Robbie's saying, you know, in the ketogenic community, or I should say in the in the world of diabetes, the one thing that most people with diabetes are fixated on, and this sort of includes medical professionals as well, is blood glucose, blood glucose, blood glucose, or blood, let's say blood sugar, blood sugar, blood sugar, right? That's what people are always like just hell-bent on getting down, right? So, you know, regardless of what you're doing right now, if your only goal in life is to decrease your blood glucose, well, there's a number of ways you can do it. I mean, there's, there's a very a lot of ways, right? Number one, you can exercise like a madman and you can perform four hours of exercise every single day. Your glucose is going to come down. You can do intermittent fasting every single day. You can do an 18-hour intermittent fast. Your glucose will come down. You can adopt a ketogenic diet where you're basically avoiding foods that are carbohydrate rich. Your glucose will come down. You can lose weight. Your glucose will come down. You can also adopt a plant-based diet that is low in fat and your glucose will come down. So what... The reason why people get so kind of like flustered about this whole process is because when you adopt a ketogenic diet and you're basically avoiding fruits, you're avoiding potatoes, starchy vegetables, bread, cereals, pastas, legumes, and you're eating things that are, you know, mainly animal-based products, whether they're meat, fish, eggs, bacon, chicken, things like that, you get results and you get them fast, like very quickly. Within weeks, you can be losing two, three, four, five, ten 10 pounds. Your blood glucose can normalize very quickly. 
Uh, your A1C value can drop very quickly. You can start to uh, reduce your LDL cholesterol and therefore your risk for heart disease. All that stuff is like very quick. And in the world in which we live today, we're sort of very uh, encouraged by instant gratification. And so, you know, if I walked up to you, Howard, and I said, hey, listen, you know, you're overweight. I want you or like I'm going to try and help you lose weight and I can get you to lose 30 pounds in the next two months. Right. And all you got to do is, you know, follow my advice. If you really want to lose 30 pounds, then you're going to be like, "Okay, great. I don't care. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because you're focused on the short term benefits. But in so doing, you forget to think about what's going to happen to me five years down the road. What's going to happen to me 10 years down the road? Right. Is what I'm doing right now to lose 30 pounds going to negatively impact my health 10 years down the road? And if the answer is yes, then you have to know that you absolutely have to know that going into it. Right. But if the answer is no, what you're doing right now is actually safe for you, not only in the short term, but also in the long term, then great. That's a long term strategy. So what we do and you know, what a lot of the research that I've done clearly shows is that the ketogenic diet provides incredible short-term benefits, but in the long term, you end up actually increasing your risk for chronic disease, including cancer, including hypertension, including uh, high cholesterol, including coronary artery disease, including atherosclerosis, including cognitive decline or Alzheimer's disease. And so if, if, if you're adopting a ketogenic diet and it's working to control your blood glucose, but two years down the road or five years down the road or 20 years down the road, you now have a whole host of other chronic diseases that now are more important than the diabetes that you tried to solve earlier, then you have yourself in a pickle. And that's where low-fat plant-based whole food nutrition comes into play because it's both a short-term and a long-term solution. But yet people just don't know that, right? And people are, again, they're sort of focused on like, well, wait a minute. I can't eat bananas. Don't, don't tell me I can eat bananas. I can't eat potatoes. That's all sugar, right? Sugar's bad for me. Sugar's going to make me fat. Sugar's going to increase my risk for diabetes. But yet we're using the wrong terminology because fruits don't equal sugar. It's, a, it's the wrong word to use. And if you actually understand the science, you'll realize that it will work to lower your blood glucose and A1C in the short term. And your risk for chronic disease five years down the road is going to be nullified. And that's the beauty of it. So before we started recording, we talked about, you know, that basically the, the keto community doesn't understand basic biology. Um, right. And but there are there are people in the keto community with PhDs and like they're not all, you know, gym bros. Right. Right. So what's. You know, someone just texted me like literally three minutes before we uh, got in the Skype call together. He's like, all right, what about this? And he sent me a picture of a book cover called Fight Cancer with a Ketogenic Diet. And so like this is a, you know, a PhD who wrote the book. There's there's studies. What can you explain in terms that I could understand? Like what's if, if it's if, if diabetes is not about blood sugar, what is it about? Okay, great question. So um, diabetes is about um, the reason that you develop prediabetes or type 2 diabetes is because you've developed another condition first, and that condition is called insulin resistance. So in other words, you cannot develop prediabetes or type 2 diabetes without first developing insulin resistance. 
So it's the precursor and it's a required precursor. Okay. So, the question becomes. Yeah. So, so what's, what's insulin? So what's insulin? Okay. What's insulin and what's insulin resistance? Okay. Here's the crash course in, in insulin biology. Insulin is a hormone that your pancreas, that, that the beta cells in your pancreas manufacture in order to help you properly metabolize your food, period, end of story. Now, when you eat food, uh, whether that food comes, it has, is carbohydrate rich, like uh, you know, potatoes or quinoa, or whether it's carbohydrate poor, like a piece of steak, Okay, insulin is required in order to metabolize the carbohydrate, the fat, and the protein that are present in those foods. It just so turns out that the most potent trigger or the most potent signal for insulin in your body is glucose, which comes from carbohydrate. Okay, so in other words, when you eat foods that are higher in carbohydrate, that's a more potent signal for insulin to be secreted than if you're eating things that contain mainly fat protein okay so that's that's the sort of like the reason why insulin exists now insulin's job is once it gets secreted from the beta cells into your blood it circulates in your blood and it, it knocks on the door of your liver and it knocks on the door of your muscle and in tissues all throughout your body and it says hey knock knock i have some glucose for you in the blood would you like to take it up and so cells have an opportunity to say, okay, great, sure. Hey, thanks for notifying me. Great. And then they open a door and then they allow the glucose to come in. So cells that are insulin sensitive, they'll hear the knock. They will recognize insulin when it gets to the cell surface and they'll say, oh, hey, look, there's some glucose. Okay, great. And then it'll enable glucose to come into the cell using a whole bunch of different mechanisms. Now, if a cell is insulin resistant, then when insulin comes to the door and it says, hey, knock, knock, I got this glucose. Do you want to take it up? The cell basically either cannot hear insulin knocking in the first place or the cell responds by saying, uh-uh, not your turn. I don't want any glucose. And the reason I don't want any glucose is because I already have a whole bunch of other stuff inside of me. And that other stuff is dietary fat. So if you're eating a diet that's got a significant proportion of dietary fat, and you're eating things like meat and cheese and uh, olive oil and coconut oil and eggs and bacon and mainly animal products, over the course of time, the dietary fat from those foods ends up getting partitioned into tissues all throughout your body. So some of it goes into your adipose tissue or your fat tissue. So you end up storing a little bit in your cheeks and in your neck. You get some in, your, you know, in the back of your tricep. You get some in your butt. You get some in your abdomen. Um, and, and if all of the fat ended up in your adipose tissue, great, no problem, problem solved, diabetes does not exist. But the problem is that some of those, those fat molecules, those, those uh, triglycerides, they don't go into your adipose tissue, they go into your muscle, and they go into your liver, and that's where the problem starts. Because your muscle and liver have a very small capacity for fat storage. And when you're eating a diet that's high in fat and you're constantly eating fat-rich foods for breakfast and lunch and dinner every day for months to years, you end up overwhelming your liver and your muscle with too much fat. And so they don't really have an option. They end up taking on a little bit of fat now and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. And over the course of time, now you actually have fat deposited inside of muscles all throughout your body, literally in your shoulders, in your chest, in your quadriceps, in your calf muscle. And so then the very next moment when you go and eat a banana, you have a banana, it gets broken down into glucose, 
the glucose says, hey, insulin, I need your help. Insulin goes, knock, knock, calf muscle. Would you like this glucose? I have it. And the calf muscle responds by saying, uh-uh, I got all this fat. I got to get rid of this stuff first. And so as a result of that, it rejects insulin and it rejects glucose and it leaves it in your blood. And then two hours later, you check your blood glucose and you go, that's weird. I just ate one banana and now my blood glucose is a 345. You see, bananas are bad for me. I can't eat anything that contains carbohydrate because every time I do, my blood glucose goes through the roof. So that's the sort of like, that's, that's the process that most people with diabetes end up going through. So, you know, we get, we get brainwashed into believing that the banana is, is the one to blame. The potato is the one to blame because these are carbohydrate rich and your glucose goes through the roof. And now you got a problem. But in reality, those are not the foods that actually caused insulin resistance to begin with. What you got to do is reverse insulin resistance. Let's get rid of that problem altogether. And now when you eat a banana, it's fine. Glucose is controlled. So the way to reverse insulin resistance is to go back and say, well, what caused it? It's the excess accumulation of fatty acids over the course of time. So let's minimize your fat intake in your diet. Let's eat a lot of plant-rich foods. And in so doing, your muscle and your liver have an opportunity to start burning all this fat they've accumulated over the course of months to years. And then as a result of that, the next time you eat a banana, you hear the knock-knock. And they go, hey, cool, glucose is here. Come on inside. And then now your blood glucose is much more controlled. I think so. So let me let me I'll I'll show you how classy I am with this uh, with this metaphor. It sort of reminds me of like you're having a party and someone goes to use your guest bathroom and take a, takes a huge dump and blocks up your toilet. And now the solution, the keto solution is to take away all the drinks so that it so that the toilet doesn't overflow. So 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 people will pee less for the duration of the party as opposed to taking a plunger. And, and clearing out the blockage in the first place. Wow, that's actually that's actually brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so you're playing the role of like bathroom avoidance, right? In the ketogenic world, where it's like let's let's minimize the drink so people don't go to the bathroom. Versus, no, 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 no. The problem is not that people are going to the bathroom. The problem is that the toilet is clogged. Let's unclog this toilet. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think that's actually brilliant. I'm going to start using that when I talk to people. This is super better. classy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> that's why I work alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, to go back to what you were saying, you know, like, what, what is the problem? And the problem is that in the, in the world of ketogenic, uh, you know, ketogenic educators and the authors and the, you know, the scientific researchers. Yeah, they're, they have great credentials. They're PhDs. They're doctors. They're very, very smart people. They really are. But yet in this process of like trying to translate the benefits of ketogenic diets and low carbohydrate diets, they, they, they twist their words and, and they don't know that they're doing it. They're not trying to be de deceiving. But what they'll do is they'll say things like, oh, well, well, insulin is your fat storage hormone. And anytime there's any insulin secretion in your body, that's going to make you store more fat. And technically speaking, that is a true statement. But if and only if you are already living in an insulin resistant state, right? If you're not insulin resistant to begin with, then insulin is not your fat storage hormone at all, right? So again, they sort of like, oh, let me, let me use that and use that statement to justify why insulin is bad and you should never eat anything containing carbohydrate. 
Right. So, so it sounds like you guys are coming at this from a holistic perspective, from a you know sort of a T. Colin Campbell, Doug Graham version of holism, where maybe the person you know, if you didn't know that plungers existed, then uh, limit you know rationing drinks would make sense. Robbie, what's what, yeah. like, what's what's your sense of like you know from from forks over knives and from working with, yeah. with Colin, like like is it just widening this the the lens? You're exactly right in saying that we come at this from the the holism perspective. I know you worked on that book, and and that's just, that that way of thinking is very much the way we approach this. And in regards to the nuances, like we very much focus on the the actual diet that we teach is about whole foods. So it's very very much, hey, we'd rather have you see brown eat brown rice than brown rice pasta rather see you eat beans than bean pasta because these nuances matter, especially in the beginning of somebody reversing insulin resistance. So yes, we are very, very much onto that perspective and, and it's, it's very simple. Like we teach, a, it's very, very simple, it's very logical. And you know, the understanding of just embracing the incredible wisdom of our body. Like we have trillions of cells doing trillions of actions every second, every day. It's so far beyond our comprehension. And to just focus on eating whole foods and letting nature run its course is very logical and something we, we definitely teach people. Hmm. Do you have people who, who resist that on some sort of emotional level? Because like if I have type 2 diabetes or heart disease, uh, I, I can understand, okay, <clears throat> my body has wisdom and I've been abusing it so I can try to reverse it. But if, so, if someone has type 1 diabetes, do you find that people come in like feeling like pre-betrayed? Pre-betrayed meaning who has betrayed them? Like their body. Like, like it's, you know, you didn't, you didn't cause your type 1 diabetes. People, who, when, when they understand, they can say, well, my, my habits caused my heart disease, my high cholesterol, my type 2 diabetes. But type 1 diabetes was just sort of fate or God or my body or the universe. Is it harder, do you find, for people with an autoimmune disease that they've had since very young to embrace the wisdom of their body? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I would almost say it's, it's kind of a, a hit or miss. So in, in reality, we actually see there's sort of like a fundamental difference in the way that a person with type 1 diabetes in our program thinks versus a person with, you know, type two diabetes may think. And yeah, the people with pre-diabetes and di type two diabetes, they kind of come to a certain point where they have ownership and they're like, well, I guess I'm the one that caused this problem. Now I'm going to be the one that has to reverse this problem. Right. But at the same time, you know, habits take a while to rewrite. And so even if you come to the recognition that like, yeah, maybe I'm the one that, you know, created this problem over the course of time, you know, it's going to take time and effort to rewrite those habits, right? Versus somebody who's living with type one diabetes, the overwhelming majority of people with type one diabetes, they want nothing more than just to get rid of it. They're like, cure me, get it rid of me. Like I'm out, like I don't want anything to do with this stuff. Like stem cell therapy, fine. Uh, you know, uh, islet cell transplant, fine. Like just get this out of me, right? But then there's a portion of the population kind of similar to Robbie and I who are sort of like, you know what? Listen, it's not our fault. We don't know what caused it. We stopped asking that question a long time ago, but I'm ready to make a change. And just, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do, and I'll make the changes. And a lot of the times we find that people with type 1 diabetes actually can make changes a little bit quicker because they don't have this long history 
of uh, you know habits that may have caused a metabolic problem in the first place. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Well, both of you guys it sounds like you 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 saw the light in your late teens, early twenties, mm-hmm. right? You didn't have an additional yeah. thirty years of of uh, dietary dogma and and bad habits. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So there's like because there's less time, it's easier to make some change. And, uh, you know, people with type one diabetes, they do, it, it's a very, it's the single most quantitative health condition in the world. There's nothing, there's no other condition that requires as much measurement and as much sort of like number finagling as living with type one diabetes. You got to measure your blood glucose. Some people choose to figure out exactly how much they're eating and then, you know, do a little bit of math to find out how much insulin I got to give myself. And then you got to wait a certain amount of time and, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of like uh, documentation and, and rigidity required, mm. um, but if you're willing to do that, then you get to a point where you're like, hey, cool, like this system works. This, this is awesome. Actually, I'm having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because of that, you kind of have to decide at some point along the way that you're willing to put in the effort. And if you're willing to put in the effort, then you can get to a point where it goes from medium effort to high effort. And then as a result of high effort, it goes down to low effort where you're like, cool, now I'm on cruise control. I sit in control. I got this under, I got this, uh, I got this handled. Mm. Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of the promise of, you know, continuous glucose monitoring. Uh, yes. But it, it feels psychologically very different. Well, yeah, those, those um, continuous glucose monitors are a tool. Like Robbie's in a perfect example. He uses a continuous glucose monitor to check his glucose and he wants a five minute update every five minutes. He looks on his phone, okay, what am I now, what am I now, what am I now? And I see that and it works beautifully for him. But my God, I tried getting on a CGM and, and I threw the thing out the window because it was just like, it was too much information for my brain and I just didn't care that much. Uh-huh. So if I'm in a room I, with you and a monitor, I should duck a lot. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I tend to think <laughs> love the CGM and not and not because I check it all the time but because it the data you get from it is is very useful in in optimizing your your lifestyle so it's not required but it is a nice tool there's no doubt and uh, I do um, I do have to check my focus a little bit less frequently which I like and is actually for a lot of people that are you know just getting into this or maybe type ones that live by themselves it really is a, a beautiful tool, especially for when you're sleeping. It can it can beep and wake you up if you're going low, um, and it can help people optimize their blood glucose during the night if they want to. It could it can beep and tell you you're going a little bit higher. You can make a correction and sort of learn from that and hopefully get to a point where you don't need to do that anymore. But um, it, it's a good tool. But like Cyrus said, it, it's got to be used appropriately. You can you can get too neurotic about it. You can overreact. CGMs have a 15 minute delay. Mm. So about what it's saying is not what your bug goes is right now. It's what it was 15 minutes ago. It's really, it's about the trends. Mm. So I mean, I could give a whole lecture on the nuances for somebody living with type one on, on how to use it properly. But, um, and I will say, I'll be go out and say like, I, I use Dexcom. I love Dexcom. Um, about to partner with them on their, uh, on one of their new products. It's great. So there's other tools coming out, which uh, we're aware with and working on, about on too. So we're always about advocating whatever the best is on the market. Gotcha. So before, before we close with the, the details of the summit, I'm curious, um, you guys have a book in you? 
it's uh, it's on its way actually. We uh, we're in the process of actually writing a book right now, so I'm actually glad you asked that. Good, because you're, yeah, you're the you're the what what do you how do you refer to yourself? You're a co-author or you're a. Um, well, I, yeah, it's, just, it's a, a negotiated title. So whatever, I'm, I've been a, 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 a contributing author. Contributing author. There yeah. you go. Yeah, so... You guys are co-authoring this. We would be co-authoring this together, exactly right. Uh-huh. Cool. Uh, when will it be out? Um, we're looking to get it out by um, probably realistically the beginning of 2020. So it's like, you know, a little more than a year from now. And we're really going to try and put in a lot of like hard work to turn this into a masterpiece so that, you know, we would like it so that anybody can pick up this book and just be like, oh, look, this is the solution right here. I just got to just do this. Right. And then we invented a coaching program because sometimes the solution has it can be a little complicated and maybe there's questions along the way. Maybe you're looking for support and a community of other people to do it with. And then therefore you can read the book and then you can also participate in the coaching program. And then, boom, now you got what you need. Right, right. Because it sounds like the two of you had very sort of different emotional reactions to the disease. Sort of, you know, I guess Robbie from from having a brother and from from having a certain um, relation. Like this is not such a big deal. I can do anything I want. Um, versus you, Cyrus, it sounded like it kind of hit you harder. Um, For sure. That you know, I have a, a friend, uh, Joshua Turner, who was on this podcast a couple of months ago, who's a type one diabetic, grew up in uh, Louisiana by the only type one diabetic he knew and felt incredibly alienated from everyone and everything from the age of 11. So the idea of a community in which just, you know, just people know, can understand your story and your struggles, even if they're not offering a whit of useful advice, still feels like it's a, a huge benefit. for people. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I'm also similar in the sense that I never thought that I, w- I needed, you know, a community of other people living with type one because I was like, oh, don't worry, I got this under control. Like, what can a community possibly provide me that I can't provide myself? But then having been part of a community now, uh, leading the community, creating the community, it's like, man, we look at these stories in Facebook and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. People are changing so quickly. They're so optimistic about it, and they're coming to the rescue. They're coming to support one another, and that's my favorite part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They literally are there to be like, hey, listen, I've gone through this. Let me help you out. And as soon as I see that, I'm just like, God, this is so fun. This is such a cool thing. Right, and when you see someone, um, when I see the people in my program who make that switch to becoming like next-generation teachers, I know they've got it. Like That's when I know they're successful, when they – when they take on that role of, of passing it on. That's exactly right. Yeah, you hit it on the head, right? Because they're like, now I have the ownership, I have the knowledge, I have the confidence to be able to talk about this and help somebody else out. And I also find that there's a lot of people have this sort of, it's almost like a moral obligation. Like, I benefited from this. I, I see the light and it's, it's making me healthier. Now, like, there's nobody telling me that I have to go help someone else. And there's nobody, you know, uh, forcing me to have to like come to the rescue of someone else. They just do it out of the goodness of their own heart. And I love seeing that because you're like, Hey, cool. Thank you for helping out. You know, that person in need is really grateful, even if they haven't told you right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, in terms of longevity, like 
assigning positive meaning to the shit that happens to us is probably, you know, right up there with a plant-based diet in terms of like looking at both of you, you could, you could say, oh, what a, what a bad deal of the, uh, you know, a, a bad hand I was dealt. And both of you totally. are like, yeah, this is, this gives my life the meaning that it has. God knows, you know, you, you might be, you know, building nuclear submarines or something totally miserable or, <laughs> right. And you, you know, you could you could be doing, you know, social media for uh, for some company that sells, you know, G.I. Joe's or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. There, there's yeah. a meaning and there's if you can make positive change out of a, a previously, uh, you know, adverse situation. It's man, it just feels so good. It really does. All right, let's let's close by telling people about the summit. And who you know, should, is it only for type one diabetics? Is it for type twos, one and a half, pre diabetics, friends, family, interested humans? Yeah. So the summit is for anybody living with diabetes, anybody interested in learning more about diabetes, anybody who has a family member who's living with diabetes and wants to really truly understand the the underlying biology. And then the solution for how can you how can you move forward? So people living with pre-diabetes type two, how can you do everything you can to get rid of this condition? People living with type one, type one point five, how can you really get in the driver's seat and control your health destiny beyond just diabetes numbers? But of course, getting great diabetes numbers as well. So it's it's for everybody. Gotcha. And, and aside from you guys, who else? Uh, who are the marquee speakers that will will get people excited? Yeah, we got all types of people in here. So uh, we got people like Dean Ornish, Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Michael Greger. Last year we had Dr. Clapper. Uh, Roddy, help me out. Who else we got? We got uh, David, David Katz. I don't know if you said that already. Um, Rob Ostfeld, um, Chef AJ. And we have each person giving on certain different topics. You have Chef AJ covering you know a lot of things, but mainly on, on calorie density. You have Rob Ostfeld going deep on, um, you know, some cardiovascular issues. You have Dean Ornish talking about, um, you know, heart disease. You have, um, who else? I mean, it's a long, it's hard to remember. We also, we had Eric Adams. We have some very entertaining people in here. Um, he has an incredible story and he was very eloquent speaker. We have some testimonials. We have Mark Ramirez, Adam Sud talking a lot about the, the psychological components, some of the stuff he came over. Um, we have Michelle McMacken, an amazing yep. expert, um, covering a lot of the insulin resistance. Susan Levin, talking about things for families and kids. Um, it's we're really trying to, yeah, exactly. Nothing was left uh, uncovered and uh, not not addressed um, in this in this year's summit. So it's free. We're really excited about that. Great. So, what do people need to know in order to find out more and sign up? So what you do is you go to uh, masteringdiabetes.org and then um, forward slash summit. Or you can just go to masteringdiabetes.org and then in the very top there's a nav bar and you just click on summit and it'll take you right there. So uh, we are um, putting together uh, – basically the, the summit goes live on the 28th of March, which is not too long from now. So we're in the process of putting together uh, – this is our second summit. And last year, we attracted something like 26,000 people from around the world to participate. And this year, we're hoping we can get it up to 40,000, maybe 50,000 people and really start to um, you know, educate lots and lots of people. Um, one thing, I don't know if Robbie mentioned this, but we are also 
translating this entire summit into Spanish. And we are creating a Spanish language coaching program because the Latino population living with diabetes is growing potentially at an even faster rate than it is in the English speaking world. Mm. So we've put in countless hours in order to uh, package this information so it's understandable uh, to somebody who doesn't speak English very well or maybe it's not, not their native language. And um, we're going to be running both of those summits simultaneously. So we're very excited. Go to masteringdiabetes.org forward slash summit and then just enter your email address uh, somewhere on the page. And then um, we will notify you every day for seven days. There's five, five new speakers become available. So you can listen to things about, you know, what causes diabetes in the first place. And then it's, okay, how do you solve diabetes? And how do you deal with emotional aspects of diabetes? And let's listen to some success stories. So it's like a whole sequence of information. And the feedback that we gotten from a lot of people uh, who participated in the summit last year was just, it just blew our mind. Gotcha. So it's actually the best part of our job. Cool. And is that interview-based or presentation-based? It is interview-based. So we schedule interviews with uh, all these professionals, and we get anywhere from like a 30-minute to a 50-minute-long you know, interview with them. And we, we try and tackle like very specific topics because someone like Garth Davis is an example. He's an expert on the evidence-based research underlying protein. What's the deal with animal protein? What's the deal with plant protein? Are they equal? So we, we really like you know, get his expertise on that. And then when it comes to someone like uh, – you know, Dr. Neil Barnard will talk about something related to insulin resistance and cheese, as an example. So, you know, we have a lot of like really phenomenal present presenters, and uh, the interviews are, are well worth it. Awesome. So, um, I will I will have to get this um, fast tracked on the podcast. So I'll, uh, I apologize to everyone else I've interviewed the last twelve weeks. I'm pushing you back so we can get this out in time that people can sign up yeah. for the summit. Um, um, it was so great to talk to meet to meet you guys to talk to you to feel, you know your 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 energy and your passion and the clarity of of what you're up to. Uh, so uh, thank you so much. It's it's really great to uh, to be on this show and um, we got to get you on our podcast. Okay, twist my arm. Done. Yeah, done. let's do it. Cool. Yeah, Love we our podcast. No question. Um, yeah, thank. I mean, Howard, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. It's like, you know, I've read a lot of the books that you've written, and uh, you know, you you just like you're so eloquent in the way that you can really describe uh, complex topics. And uh, you know, if I haven't said so already, I really appreciate all the work that you do and continuing to spread the message of plant based nutrition. It's just, it's so needed, it's so valuable, and I appreciate all the effort you put in. Oh, thank you, brothers. It's a uh... <laughs> It's great, great to be on your team. That's exactly right. It's a team effort here. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, good luck. And I hope everybody goes and, and checks out the Mastering Diabetes Summit. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support our mission, you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. If you're interested in the Big Change Program, you can find that at bigchangeprogram.com. Or if you're looking for a corporate solution, check out... Drum roll, please. WellStartHealth.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about, including the summit at PlantYourself.com slash 258. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 257 archived episodes at PlantYourself.com. And you can also sign up for the Big Change Bulldog, my newsletter, which I send out every so often. 
So that Mastering Diabetes Summit includes a paid product. The summit itself is free, but if you'd like ongoing access, it does cost money. And I am an affiliate for that summit, which means that if you click the link on my website and head over to MasteringDiabetes.com, I'll get credit for your appearance. However, what I will not get is money. I have asked to be set up so that I do not receive an affiliate commission. And the reason I've taken this stance is long and complicated, but suffice to say that it just feels cleaner to me at this point in my career to, to not be receiving money to support things that other people are doing that I really believe in. I'm sure that uh, Cosmic Karma is, is working in full force. What goes around comes around and that other people are also are doing their best to help me to help promote the big change program to promote well-start health and spread the word. But in terms of a direct financial connection with mastering diabetes or other things like the um, natural care products I mentioned at the beginning, there, there is no payment coming to me. That said, this podcast is a service. And if you find it valuable, I would love for you to pay for it. And one way to do that is to become a patron of the show with an ongoing monthly contribution. And you can do that at plantyourself.com. Just check out the Patreon link in the right sidebar, or you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash plantyourself. Both will take you to the same place. And it's pretty much the same deal as, you know, public radio or public television. I do this. It's available for free for everyone. And if you'd like to support that, if you'd like this message to continue to be available for free for everyone without, um, you know, those financial entanglements, then you can do your part to be a direct supporter of this show. If money isn't your thing right now, but you'd still like to share some gratitude for the show, one fantastic way to do that is to leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us climb the uh, Apple podcast hierarchy and rankings so that more people can see us and more people can find out what we're all about. And of course, the most sincere form of gratitude is just to spread the word, to tell other people on social media, via email, in in mentioning the Plant Yourself podcast to help us continue to grow. In garden news, most of the news is happening in our dining room where we set up these, these flats under grow lights and over little heat mats. And they're coming up not great, but OK. But we should have uh, a bunch of stuff to put in the ground when uh, spring comes in a couple of weeks. In running news, I've got a marathon coming up this coming Sunday. I have not trained for it specifically because of injuries. So we'll see how mature I can be about taking it slow and steady and just enjoying the day. All right, time for the thanks as the Cora music swells. First of all, thanks to the Cora player and composer, Will Ridenauer. Check out his work at willridenauer.com. He's the composer of the theme music for this show, which is called Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. And of course, thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. I mentioned Patreon, right? So uh, this is how this is a bunch of folks who are helping to support the show. I'm almost at 500 bucks a month, which is truly amazing. If I can double that, I can't even begin to tell you how much energy I can uh, afford to put into this show for you. So here we go. 
Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Wilkinowski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rungus Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franchet, Jeanette Benham, Gil, Lacerre, David Donahue, Blair Seibert, Dorona, Vizov, Gio, and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderbird, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus. Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, rhymes with cinnamon. Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmuth, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Mashia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, of Plant Happy Organs, the Mean Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Theresa Copel, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rosland, Ayat, Julie Langholm, Hedegaard, Isa, Tuzan Wakani, Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lyle, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen, and Joe Kraft. Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, and welcoming this week, Kelly Baker Miracle and Ann Jesse. Thanks all for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>